Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Why don't we have a seat? We'll all take a seat. Uh, it's so good to see all of you. Good to see the Polancos visiting, huh? Uh, Ed, Edmund, and uh, Whitney, could you guys stand up? You guys stand up and let me embarrass you a little bit. These are friends from up north. It's good to have you guys. Give me the names of your daughters again. Give me the names of your daughters again. Summer, Piper, and Annie. All right. Glad to have you guys. Glad to have you guys. Well, why don't we turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to a, a sacred text. It is your indictment of mankind apart from Christ. We thank you that you've rescued us, you've saved us. For those who know you, you have saved us from a life of idolatry. God, you have freed us. And yet, Lord, we see in this world around us, in our cities, how desperately people need Christ. We ask, Father, you would give us eyes like you, compassion like your son, to give folks the pure, undiluted gospel that rescues and saves. We pray, Father, you would help us to understand your word, understand what it means to worship. We pray, would you give us ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of this sermon is The Distortion of Worship, Replacement of God. The Replacement of God. Our text is Romans chapter 1. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We have looked in our study of worship, the design of worship, that uh, the image of God, we were created in his image, the very purpose for which we were created was to bring glory, was to exalt God himself. Then we looked at the worthiness of worship, which is God's own holiness. He is three times holy, holy, holier, holiest in the superlative sense. And yet God calls us to bring him glory. And now we're looking at this I would be remiss if we skipped over this. This is the distortion of worship. The distortion of worship. This is the replacement of God. Make no mistake about it. Man, in his heart, knows there is something greater than him. He seeks, he searches, he tries to ascertain, he tries to uh, accomplish something greater than him. Some folks say it's the it's the universe. The universe is doing this. Or there's good mojo. Or the vibes are coming towards me. Or, or maybe my ambition is to leave the world a better place. Or maybe my ambition is to leave my children a world that's a better place. And yet we know that man is going to strive to exalt 
something better, something bigger, something greater, some greater purpose, some uni- the, the universe, the karma, or their conception of God. Because we have seen from our study of how man is made in the image of God, ingrained in the very fabric of his being is worship. We remember we've defined worship as, biblical worship as, exalting God the Father through the person and work of Christ in the power of the Spirit by word, deed, thought, and as a fundamental response to who God is and what he has done. In other words, it is praising and exalting and making much of God, of what he has done in the face of Christ Jesus, our Lord. But in our sinfulness, in mankind's sinfulness, this worship of the one true God is exchanged. It is substituted. It is replaced for a created God in the mind of man. It is man's prideful audacity that rejects his role as the image of God worshiper that he was made and makes God the image of man. In other words, instead of God making man in his image, we distort the whole we distort the whole way it was conceived and we create God in our image. A God to our liking. A God that allows our sin. A God that creates our own. A God that allows us to live any way we want without any accountability. And yet, God says that is not true. Thus, this is God's verdict on mankind and his clear and unobstructed view of man's sinful heart. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. You know in the beginning he says in verse 16 and 17 Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power, it is the dunamos, it is the power to accomplish its intended end. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith. Why Paul? Why are you saying the gospel is powerful? Seems pretty weak. It seems like some, some person just standing there telling people how they can be saved. How can that make any difference? And he tells us the power of the gospel. But you have to know what he is facing. And so he tells us the delusion that is, that is in man's heart. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident with them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, for, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals. 
and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I'm going to read a little bit more so you get the context. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do these things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. They're slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Man was made a worshiper. Make no mistake. Notice the text he says here, he says here, for they knew the truth, and then it, instead of verse 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory. Verse 24, and God gave them over. Look at 25. Here's this pivot. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. The pivot is there. It's not a matter of whether or not you do worship. I don't have to ask people, do you worship? We all do. We all do. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, who do you worship? Who do you extol? Who captures your heart? Who or what do you treasure? Man was made a worshiper, but because of the fall in cosmic insanity, he worships lesser things rather than the true God who created him. Yet the gospel of Christ has the power to break through any and all of man's idolatry and turn them to true worshipers of the living God. God gave this passage. Here's my uh, preaching point if you're taking notes. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would give and live the gospel to smash idols and worship Christ. I'll say that again. He gave this passage so you would give and live the gospel to smash idols and worship Christ. Both in others and in yourself. The gospel is the only way to turn an idol worshiper into a God worshiper. You have to know the pervasiveness and the degree of the idolatry in man's heart to truly depend 
on the gospel of Christ as the only way to free from idolatry. You need to know how deep it goes. This is why Paul says you need power, power beyond you. You can't break through in your own strength, by your own rhetoric, by your own persuasiveness. You cannot break through. Why? He says because in order for you to understand that, you got to know the depth of man's idolatry. That's our first point. Know the depth of man's idolatry. Notice he says in verse 18 to 21, it's not a matter of if you worship, it's a matter of what you worship. In Romans, we said, I saw in Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul was talking about the only solution, which is the power of the gospel. And he comments on why he needs supernatural outside force. Because idolatry, brothers and sisters, idolatry is at the heart level. It's not, the root cause is not poverty, lack of education. It's not a lack of a good Christian upbringing. The idolatry in our hearts is at the heart level. It occurs in the heart of man. Notice he says in um, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. And now he's letting us see God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. God is showing himself correct. He is vindicating himself right now. He says the wrath of God is revealed. Notice this this wrath. What is the wrath of God? He is displaying the heart of man day in and day out. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. What is God's wrath? God's wrath is his settled and his determined indignation. It's not a momentary emotional outburst of anger. It's this settled indignation against sin. God has no neutral feeling about sin. He hates sin. In fact, he hates it so much he sent his son to die on the cross. And he says that this sin, I'm sorry, his wrath is revealed or more correctly is being revealed. It's being uncovered. Every day we see his wrath being uncovered, made known, brought to light. It has been revealed since Adam. Since the curse. Every funeral you go to, every buried body, you see the results of our sin completely. We are a cursed people. But he says here, it is revealed in this different way. He says from heaven. Why does he say from heaven? Because that's where his throne is. That's where his rule and his dominance is. My wrath is being displayed here against ungodliness. What is that? That is stressing a broken relationship with God. Ungodliness means this lack of respect. It is, a, it is Jesus Christ being used as a cuss word. It is this lack of respect of any of his moral law at all. It is a laughing at it. A lack of commitment, a lack of worship to God. It's a failure to worship the true God. 
Unrighteousness is the stress of not just the relationship aspect, but now it's the result of acting ungodly. Because man's relationship to God is broken, now all of his relationships to other people are broken. This is why we treat each other this way. This is why we say awful things to each other. This is why we sin against one another. And God says, I am displaying. How how does he display? He displays by the consequences, he displays his wrath by the consequences of our sin and by handing us over. And we'll see that later in the text. In the text. Very clearly we see the consequences, and don't we see the consequences in our society? Of our broken relationship with God? That's why we treat each other this way. That's why murder is on the rise. If you just just listen to the news, it'll make you sick. But all this to say, God is saying, I am vindicating myself. I am showing you what you're like. And I'm removing restraint as I as I do this. Because this is what we are doing. This is what mankind does apart from God. Notice he says in verse 18 to 20. In 18, he says, Of men, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means that man knows the truth. He understands the truth. What is the truth? That God exists and that he is worthy of worship. That's what it's talking about. But man is disingenuous. He knows there's a God who exists, who he must account for, but in man's wickedness, he either wipes the existence of God away or creates a God that is in line with his unrighteousness. He says here in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. So what is this truth that, uh, that is being talked about here in verse 19? God made it evident within them, for God made it evident to them. They know what is the truth. He says, verse 20, and he gives a catalog. Since the creation of the world. First, that God is the creator. Secondly, that God has declared loudly his existence. Thirdly, he says here, that God is eternally powerful. And we see this from creation. When we look in the ocean, when we look at the mountains, when we look around us, we know there is a God. When we see the ecosystems and how they work, when we see how the the planets orbit around the, in, in the galaxy. When we see all of that work, when we see the end of the face of a baby, we see his mighty power. We see his divine intelligence. We see his divine goodness in that he provides for us for our food and for our daily needs. The Bible says it, we have clearly seen that. We understand that. And yet we are without excuse because we push it down. In all actuality, when someone says they don't believe in God, the real truth of the matter is, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. 
You're just suppressing it. You're just pushing it down. Because this God is a holy God. Notice what they do. They, uh, mankind dishonors God. Verse 21, he says, Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They don't honor him. The word there for honor is a doxazo, or where we get the word doxology, to enhance the reputation, to glorify, to praise. We don't honor him. He's a laughing stock. In fact, we're surprised when people honor God. We're surprised when famous people do. Verse 21b, this is the reaction of mankind. He says in verse 20 and 21, For even though they knew God, you know there's a God that exists. You know in your heart, in your conscience. You know he created it all. And what he says here, even though they knew God, they did not honor him, nor do they give thanks. This is an amazing sin towards the God who created us and gives us all that we need. No, this is what people do instead. I blame you, God, for the bad times. Why did you do this, God? Why did you let this happen, God? Why did I lose this person, God? I blame you for all the bad times, but never gratitude for God for what he has done for you. Never gratitude for his goodness, his kindness, that he allows your heart to beat one more time. Now, when we talk about ingratitude, you're looking, you might look at this text and say, what's the big deal? He's mad because we're not thankful? What is the big deal? And you don't understand that until you're a parent. Isn't that right? Moms, imagine this, okay? You spend all evening because you want to have a nice dinner. Just think, just think about this, okay? And so you spend all this time cooking. You got a three, four course meal there with dessert. You have it all ready and you say, okay, we're all here. Imagine, maybe this is Thanksgiving dinner or something. And everyone's supposed to show up. And they don't call. Your kids don't call. They don't even show up. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? It's just a dinner. But in actuality, it shows the hearts of ingratitude. Now, as parents, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I understand that. I totally understand that. That is a sin against me. And yet, every day, brothers and sisters, every day that we do not say thanks, every day that mankind laughs and thinks I made it and I did it, is a day of ingratitude, of huge dishonor to God. Notice In verse 21, see, there's this continuing, what happens is, it's not just dishonoring or ingratitude, but in 21c, here's where we get to the root of it, okay? 21c, he says, futile in their speculations. The word there for futile is worthless, 
foolish, unable to think clearly or correctly. And the speculations are, are complex thought patterns that never land on the truth. You ever talk to someone like this? You're sharing the gospel with them and they have all these philosophies and yet they, know, they do not know what they're talking about. Well, if God is real, then why doesn't he show me who he is? And if God is real, then I think he would be more like this, not the God of the Bible. Who are you to define who God is? Folks become futile in their speculations. And here, here's, where it, here's where it lands. Notice in verse 21, their foolish heart was darkened because of because I pushed the truth of God that he exists and that he is worthy of worship I push it down for my own interest now at the heart level this is what he's talking about the your foolish heart was darkened he's saying the very seat of who you are you cannot even understand spiritual truth anymore Psalm 14 says this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. You see, the gospel is needed. Because man's inner thoughts are so distorted. And his thinking is so distorted. But not only his thinking, so also his will. Notice, understand a, deci- understand a decision in man's idolatry. It's not just that someone puts evidence in front of their face. They make a conscious decision not to worship God, but to worship something else. Notice, it's a resolved will. He says here, professing to be wise, they became fools. The word there for professing means to assert, to claim, to declare. They tell everyone, they assert to everyone, they claim everyone, they declare to everyone how wise they are and how they have come to discover the secrets of the universe on their own. It's very much like, uh, you know, when I was in my travels, when I saw... Hindu gurus talk about life and them not talk. They just didn't even know what they were talking about. About righteousness, about sin, about sanctification, about redemption. About them trying to convince me that true uh, cleansing happens if your ashes are poured in this filthy river. And you see all these poor people trying to do that. Or it's also the same as our... Instagram gurus who tell you how to live their life, how to live your life. They profess in their own wisdom. But the Bible really says that they became fools. The word there for fools is moria or moron, where we get the word moron. Their foolish thoughts led to a foolish decision and they convinced themselves. And here, lo and behold... They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. Notice here, the word there for exchange is they barter. And what is an amazing 
comparison is what Paul is saying. The glory of the incorruptible God, he has it on one side of the balance. You give that up for an image of the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So, so what he's saying, this, this exaltation, this reputation of the incorruptible one, the one who doesn't decay, the one who doesn't die, the one who is immortal, the one who is imperishable. You give up the unfallen for the fallen. And so he says, for an image... In the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. At that time, um, ancient Rome, they used to, they would uh, worship the eagle in Rome. In Egypt, they would worship the stork and hawks. Four-footed animals, there's too many to count. Even Israel even uh, created a bull god. You remember that in uh, Exodus? When we look at that, we, t- we tend to think that's not us as Americans. We don't create these idols and we don't worship these idols. I think it's very helpful for us. Ted Tripp wrote a book and he called these idols overt idols and covert idols. Because you notice... He says, for an image in the form of corruptible man. And I think in our culture, that's where we land a lot. We don't have maybe the overt, overt idols of in our home. Sometimes you do. But, but most of the time we have these covert idols, these hidden idols in our lives where we believe that we're the final arbiter of what is true and what is right and what is good. We are the humanistic sociologists or the philosophers or the false theologians. We believe we have an idol of self-worship. And so what happens is this exchange. You exchange God for a lie. Later on in the verse, you see it says, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He says, for the lie, contextually, that God exists and is the only one worthy of worship. That's the lie. The truth is that God exists and is the only one of worship and you exchange that for a lie. And notice here is the crux of it all. You worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. The word therefore worship, rather than giving it to God, is now showing reverence and venerating four-footed animals, crawling creatures, and man himself. The word therefore serve means to, uh, we get the word actually liturgy from it, letergeo, uh, to venerate, to minister. So here it is. And here's the, here's the crux of the matter. That unbelievers, apart from the word of God, is, are dominated by idol worship. But you know, brothers and sisters, we are. When we sin, did you know that every time we sin, we actually fall for idol worship ourselves? We need to stop and pause and think about this. It is the idols of our heart that Christ has come to set us free. Now there are, ma- there are many obvious idols, we would say. 
substance abuse, immorality. We would say all those things that what we would call addictions and stuff. But the idols of our heart show itself in different ways. So say for instance, if if you blow up in anger, okay, rather than dealing with it with the love and grace of God that God has given you, oftentimes it reveals an idol of, that you've made an idol of respect. Okay? Are you following me? So here's, here's what it's saying. If I, if I have an idol of respect so much that if anyone ever disrespects me, I blow up in anger, I know that I have an idol in my heart. See, what happens is these idols come in the rub of life. Okay? So you have someone who's maybe addicted to porn. And they use that and they look at that and they, and really it's not even the lust that's, that they're addicted to. It's more of an escape. And you see this escape, this is this idol of escape. I don't want to deal with my problems. So I'm going to banish myself in porn or I'm going to disappear in Netflix or I'm going to disappear in all these things that would get, uh, get my mind away from it. What you have done is you've created an idol of escape. Because I don't want to deal with my problems in a godly way. Or say, for instance, when, when there's an opportunity to share about Christ, to honor Christ, and you're with your friends, and you don't speak up. You don't open your mouth. Why? You don't open your mouth because you have an idol of man-pleasing. I just want to be liked. I want to be liked by everyone to the extent that I will bow the knee to the idol of man-pleasing. Don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters. When we sin, we are bowing to another idol. And isn't it a wonder? Don't we praise the Lord that someone share the gospel with us? This is too powerful. I'm going to talk about the last one that's just way too powerful. How in the world are we ever going to change society? How are we going to get into people's lives? How are we going to help people as, as a church? It's not going to be my personality. It's not going to be how likable I am. It's not going to be how, how many programs we have. Brothers and sisters, it's got to be the power of God to break through. Why? Because in their thoughts, you don't understand how deep this is. You think it's just if you just give education, if you throw money at the problem, you'll solve it. Brothers and sisters, that is not true. You know your loved ones. You know your neighbors, your friends. You have shared the gospel. I I looked at a guy. I took him to coffee. I looked at him straight in the face and shared the gospel. You need to turn. And he laughed at me because he can't see his blindness. I don't don't like that. I don't like that God. I don't like that he's above me. I don't like that he owns me. Praise the Lord, someone gave you the gospel. Amen. The gospel being this, that God did create us in his image. 
that we were made to worship him and we have all gone astray. It's a matter of worship, isn't it, brothers and sisters? We have all gone astray. We have sinned and have been separated from God. But God in his love and his kindness has sent his son to live a holy life on our behalf to die that death, that bloody death on the cross. And if we believe in him and receive him and trust in him, the Bible says we will be saved. And that, brothers and sisters, is the power that broke through. It seems so unimpressive, isn't it, right? In the world's view. This, are you saying this little message about Jesus? Someone just stood up and talked about it? Yes, it changed my life. I put down my idols. One day I was worshiping these things. All I wanted was to please that. My whole life was encircled in that. And now I am set free. And all I want to do is serve Christ. Now, you may be sitting there as, as believers, praise the Lord, thinking this is insane. Why would anyone want to barter God for a lie and live that way? This brings us to the next point. You realize the motive for man's idolatry, his overpowering lust. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity. Verse, verse 24. There comes a point in time when a society rejects God and in his existence, they reject his existence, they reject his holiness, they refuse to acknowledge him anymore even though they're so obviously blessed but they continue to sin which dishonors him. There is a point where God says, okay, you keep saying this is what you want. You keep saying this is how you want to live. You keep having these parades. You keep living like this. You don't want any restraint on you. You don't want to follow my ways. You don't want to follow my character. I, and the judgment that God gives is, I will give you what you want. Go ahead. And in the sadness, he allows you to have what you want. This is terrifying. Because what is really overpowering and what is, what is driving this, notice he says here in verse 24, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart. He just, they just want to do what they want to do. And we know what the context is. Notice verse 26 on. God gave them over to their degrading passions. Their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. This is the LGBTQ agenda right here. They just do whatever they want. Verse 27. In the same way, men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire to one another. They commit indecent acts and receive in their own persons the due penalty of their error. We see even in society, notice how it says, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God says, Fine. You don't want to live in my ways. You don't want to trust in Christ. You don't want to receive the grace and forgiveness that I myself has, have 
offered and have, have uh, supplied. He says God gave them over to a depraved mind. Go ahead. Do what you want to do. And he says they're being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Isn't this just our society? Slanderers. We just hurl abuse at one another. We don't listen to one another. Haters of God. You talk about Christ and Jesus. People get upset. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. We have a society of that. Disobedient kids. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. See, what happens is, here, here's this, here's this, um, here's the sequence, okay? They have these thoughts about their own idol. They convince themselves with their own rationalization, they profess, of what they profess. And because of their own rationalization, what happens is they are driven by their own lust to do it. And I've seen this more times than I'd like to admit. And let me, let, let me paint a picture for you. It's when uh, I've seen this so many times. I, I, this is just a sad, sad cycle that men and women do. One person may profess they know Christ and that they are a Christian. And they become involved in sexual sin because the pull is so, so strong. They put themselves out there. You find out about it and you call them lovingly to repent of that sin and to come back to a right relationship with God. God will forgive you, but you have to repent. He will wash you clean. Amen. You, we doesn't matter what you've done. He will wash you clean. Amen. But he doesn't play games. You have to repent. That means to surrender. To go the other way. Right? He says you call them to repentance. You need to turn from your sin. I, I, I remember this. I was in high school and I was calling my friend. Dude, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping with your girlfriend? Why are you doing that? You know that doesn't honor God. He was in the church. We were, we were buds. We, we did so many Christian things together. We went to camp. We did discipleship. We would, we would serve together. I said, what are you doing? You're in sin, man. And then he goes, and this is where the cycle starts. Well, I don't really believe that about God. I don't think he's really like that. I think futile speculations. Do you see that? He starts to become futile in his speculations. And then what happens? Then he goes, and so I decide to live this way. I don't think I want to go to church anymore. I don't think I want to serve God anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. That's not what my God is like. My God is a God of love. This means, and what they really mean is my God is a God that will allow any sexual perversion outside of marriage. That's what I mean. That's what he means, right? I don't want to. I don't want to have anything to do with you, Angelo. I've had these conversations so many times. It's that drive 
sex is such a powerful drive that outside the confines of marriage it drives the individual to entertain entertain thoughts of a false god or no god and then it leads them to futile speculations and and then to the exchange of truth for the lie so that the real reason comes out. I remember I was reading an article about this pastor's son who just said, he, uh, at first, he was giving all these arguments of why he didn't believe God. They were all philosophical, high and mighty. And then years go by, and then he finally says, no, actually, I know what I said. He goes, I just want to sleep around and drink. And there's the truth comes up. Why? Because it is initiated and desired from our own hearts. Oh, God, spare us from this. So how are we to fight This powerful delusion when we understand the depth of man's idolatry, the decision of man's idolatry, and the motive for man's idolatry. Well, this is is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. I need that power. The word there for power is the dunamis. It is the power for to accomplish its intended goal. It can break through our stony hearts. It can break through our idolatrous ways. It can break through our sin. And notice he proclaims the freeing gospel. Paul doesn't veer from the way he, t- he preaches the gospel. He doesn't change programs. He doesn't hear their, their complicated and their sophisticated arguments. Do you remember when he was on Mars Hill? Acts chapter 17 and they're arguing against him and he does not change one bit because he knows he needs a power that will break their idolatrous hearts and he knows that the only one that will free them is Christ. And so he continues to preach. Notice in Romans chapter 3 verse 21 to 26 Paul says this, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested as being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Here's the joy. For there is no distinction. Notice, anyone who believes, anyone who trusts in him, there is no distinction. But the opposite is true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no distinction. And yet he says... This is how we are saved. You're justified, that is, you're declared righteous as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. That is, his death paid for your sins. And this is what happens. Go to uh, 1 Thessalonians. This is why I wanted to read this text. Are you enslaved to ambition? You're enslaved to your career? Are you enslaved to pleasing mankind, being liked? Are you enslaved to your being respected? Are you enslaved to anger? Are you enslaved to lust? The Bible says to come to Christ. And he will free you. And this is what happens. Notice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 8. I'll just read. No, no, let me read in verse 
for knowing, brethren, beloved, by God, his choice of you. Notice, what was it? Was it a program? Was it a uh, pouring uh, of funds? Notice, he says in verse 5, for our what? Our gospel. Paul's whole confidence in the in people dropping their idols was what the gospel. It did not come to you in word only. He's saying it did come in word. You have to preach it, right? You have to teach it. But he also comes with power. He says here, and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The Bible shows you through, through, through the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he takes the things of Christ and he actually finally convinces you, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I need him. Yes, what I'm doing is wrong. And here's what happens. Verse 9, for they themselves report about what kind of a reception we had with you, how you turned to God, notice, from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. I have, um, I have a loved one who I heard. We've, we've been praying for this uh, loved one for many, many years, probably over 20 years. Every time we brought up the name of Christ, she would get upset. She would get angry at me. She came from she came from an idolatrous background, right? Hers was more overt. There were idols actually on her dresser. And we would talk about her idols on her dresser and she would just get upset and angry. And so we dropped it. Now I could have done I could have gone commando, right? And taken those idols and burned them in the backyard or hid them or something myself. But that would have never changed the heart, do you understand, of this loved one. She was just plagued by superstition. A superstitious God she, she followed. Uh, a God that says uh, only... Uh, if you're doing bad, uh, bad things happen to you. If you're doing good, good things happen to you. That's just not reality. That's not what the Bible says. She was enslaved. Every time she sinned, she would pray to these idols. I know it sounds fantastic, sounds primitive, but that's the truth. She would pray to these idols and hope that the image that she was looking at would help her to focus in prayer and to clear her heart from sin but it never worked and then I heard that she came to Christ and we still you know for some time we did see those idols still there on that dresser and I couldn't I didn't force the issue and I just heard, by God's grace, no one told her. She did exactly what First Thessalonians did. She put them away. 
she was set free to no longer be a worshiper of idols, but to be a worshiper of the true and living God. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, I pray that you would be set free. You know what the idols of your heart are. I don't need to know, actually. God knows. He sees right down to it, and he can free you. You must come to him and not play games. You must trust only in him and repent. And brothers and sisters, those of you who, are, who do claim the name of Christ, if there are idols that you have been entertaining in your heart, I know that there are still. Martin Luther said that our, our hearts are idol factories. We just keep making them in our hearts. The Bible says that the gospel that saved you still has the power to free you now. Is your idol worry? Is your idol anxiety? Is your idol respect? Is your idol pleasing man? Is your idol pride? You can be set free, brothers and sisters, in the love and forgiveness of Christ and be a true worshiper. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that the Father seeks worshipers. Would you free our hearts to worship you, God? Free us from idols. May our hands and our hearts open and you do the cleaning work. Smash them, God, with the gospel. And Lord, help us not to Help us not to ignore our neighbors or our friends. They need you. We pray, Father, that you would do that work. We love you and we praise you. Help us to sing with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.